Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift, Wanderers of Melisanda, and Paradise Hills for the Accidental Aliens. Yeah, and I am Keith Foster. I write the comics Animals, Kadoja, and Three Protectors. And you are also a beer-drinking son-of-a-gun. Beer-drinking son-of-a-gun. And with that said, my friend, what are you drinking? What am I drinking? I'm uh, I'm I'm breaking open something brand new here. Never had it, and this this bad boy is Rogue Pineapple Party Punch. Oh shit! A hazy hazy India pale ale brewed with pineapple and toasted coconut. Sixteen ounces, eight point four percent ABV. That is a that's right in that sweet spot. That's right in that sweet spot yeah. of of a, of a good good time. So we'll we'll see how we do. We uh we both we both went pretty hard last week. It turned out that the three protectors did in fact pack a wallop with me drinking five or six shots of soju on top of a beer. And it was, uh, yeah, it was wild to see. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, I totally kept it in where you went like you were just interrupted yourself and you went like holy shit. <laughs> it's so great, so great. So so what are you drinking? All right, man. This is a. If you are from San Diego, uh, this is a very well-known beer here in San Diego. It's a well-known brewery here in San Diego. It is Ballast Point, Ballast Point Brewing Company. Um, they originated here, and this is the Grapefruit Sculpin. So Sculpin was their uh, heavy hitter. Their their heavy hitter IPA it was a favorite for quite the longest time, and then they came out with the Grapefruit Sculpin, which overtook that one everyone was just like yeah yeah we don't want the regular shit it's grapefruit now that's what that's the life we're living we're gonna live that for the rest of our life so i'm having it on the pod i think for the first time um this is such a common beer here in san diego that i don't feel like it's something that i would have had on the pod but if i had before hey you're a long time listener because that would have been definitely in the first year yeah my memory says you have not had it on the podcast Right on, and so, I also uh, so, met yeah. with uh, I also met with my accidental alien studio mate Travis before this, and we had two beers prior to that. He had a non-alcoholic. He is not of the drinking persuasion anymore, uh, but mm-hmm. I am. So I had a couple of I think it was called uh, Dos Desperados Hazy IPAs. Um, I was only planning on having one. He wanted the second non-alcoholic beer. I can't let one of my friends drink on their own. So hey. I'm a mensch. I decided I'm going to tackle another one just for him, only for him. He's the only reason. Only for you. Just only. for you. Yeah, just for I continue for you. to support all of the breweries here in San Diego, keeping all of these breweries alive <laughs> all on my own. Um, and so, anyway. These breweries that, will look back on this period of time and they'll wonder why there was only one set of footsteps. And, and they were not in a straight line. And they were all over no. the place. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> There's a bunch of running into each other, drunk ass footsteps. Exactly. That's right. All right, my friend. That's the beer talk for the beginning of the episode here. Uh, let's get to the comics. What was the first thing you did this week? Yeah. The, so the first thing I did just as, as a frame of context here in terms of output, this was probably a lighter output week for me because my mother is still visiting. Oh, and, okay. Uh, like we like we talked about last week. Um, you know, I'm I'm making the time for her first, and and my other things I need to do, and so creating is going to take a little bit of a, a a backseat for a while, and it's okay. I mean, I have been writing just a little bit. I think I I've carved out a couple hundred words on a couple days. So um, so the good news is. 
I'm already on track to meet my sort of modified writing target by the end of the month, as long as I keep on just pecking away a little bit and then pick it up as usual once uh once mom goes back home. So so pretty good stuff there. And but I think that there's a there's a larger context of this that I'm just gonna continue. It's a bit of continuing thread from the last couple weeks, which is in in thinking about the number of stories that I have written or in process and what those mean to the invader release schedule and what might be my own release schedule. I'm really set for a while. You know, you, you could make the argument that I don't have to write a thing for almost a year and I'm probably still okay. And that's, that's a good place to be. Um, it means that I'm doing what I want to do and I'm writing where the heat is and, you know, continuing to make stuff. But it also means that I don't have to push myself that extra extra bit, which is, you know, has already manifested in terms of the goals and uh, and, you know, uh, giving me a more and, and has given me a little bit more of a relaxed pace. But there was a final little bit of realization that I had that I thought was was helpful to share, which is uh, I, you know, I have a task app on my phone. And so I, I put in all the things I want to do for the day, whatever they're going to be, edit the podcast, write your notes, do an Instagram post, you know, every little thing, because I love checking boxes. And uh, and I was getting to the point where I, there were some submission deadlines for some publications for short stories. I've dabbled in short stories, I've done them because I wanted to write them, and now I'm at the spot where, yeah, I want to send these out to magazines. Except I kept on pushing back and pushing back and pushing back reading this short story I wrote so that I could make a deadline for a publication. And a couple days ago, I was like, what are you telling yourself? You continue to push this back. Do you not want to do it? Right? Like that's, that's the question I asked myself. And the very short answer is yes, I don't want to do it. That is correct. I don't want to do it. And, and it's not, it's not for the creative part. It's that, when you are, look, if you hustle on the comic book end and you hustle on trying to get your novel out there, that that is taken up bandwidth. And so the the reason that I don't didn't feel comfortable with this short story stuff is it's an entirely different set of people to pitch my stuff to, a different set of rules, a different way to package submissions, a different all that. And so that was the thing that was really glomming me down, you know, because... Why did I even, okay, I wrote a short story because I felt like it and because I had time, but when it got to the marketing side of it, or rather the marketing in terms of trying to get it out there and get it published, my whole thing was, well, it's the quickest way to try to get a Bram Stoker, right? Like that was the logic. Okay. Maybe that's the quickest way to get a Bram Stoker and uh, by getting a short story out there. And so I did that for a little bit. I sent, I sent a submission or two in. I got, you know, rejections, which is totally normal. Right. But then I was like, what if you didn't care about getting a fucking brand Stoke, Bram Stoker, Keith? Like, are you writing to write? Or are you writing to like, you know, there's a fine balance between creating and, and having a career or, or, or furthering your own career, whatever that career may be in terms of putting creative content out there. Well, I have two angles I'm working already. I have comics and I have the novel angle. That's enough. 
I don't need a third thing kind of glomming bandwidth and and having it be it, it was like the snakes and Pee Wee Herman except I never got to them I just kept looking at them every day. <laughs> Those motherfuckers burned and died. They they building. did they did or 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 we're at the end of the burning building and I just decided you know what fuck them they can stay right because they're snakes and uh, yeah because they're snakes exactly so it was a good realization for me because I didn't really want to do it. You know, like, I I like writing short stories as a creative exercise. I like editing them. What I don't like is marketing them and kind of latching them into this marketing framework of where I want my own writing career to go. All it really is, is deciding that for now, I want to put all my eggs in two baskets. I want to put them in the comics basket, and I want to put them in the novel basket. And the reason is because I enjoy both of those forms so much. Those short stories that I've written... I fully expect that I can turn those things into comic books if I want. And and what I've given myself is future fodder for like short story comic books type of things, anthology pieces, whatever it's going to be. And I'm okay with all that because the first component is not wanting to get out there and submit to publications and all that because it just it, it's it's a total extra bit of work that's stepping a bit outside of what I really enjoy doing and where I want to focus my energies in terms of promoting myself. But the other thing is, I just like comics more. That's what it comes down to. I like writing novels because of the things I can do in writing prose. And I like making comics because I like the visual uh, slash writing, you know, tandem that they are. The yin-yang of the visuals and the writing. And and that's really what it was. That was more of what drove it. It's like, I love making comics and I'm, I'm just going to stick to this. I'm going to stick to comics and novels because those are the two things I love the most. Do I like writing short stories? Sure. I have a few that are already built up that I can just revisit as an exercise, but maybe I stop short of marketing them and I just write them and keep them tucked away and then maybe they become a short story collection someday or maybe I make a comic out of them someday or whatever. So they're still fun, but by freeing up that thing and deciding like, okay, you're, you don't have to do them, Keith. You know, I'm, I'm giving you this. It made me feel so much more free and gave me so much more energy in attacking the stuff I wanted to do, which was comics and writing. And that second novel, the little bits I'm doing, I'm actually reaching what I think is a good point where I can see the story now. And I and I almost can see the path to the end of the novel now, which is cool. I'm still a ways away, but I can see the path. So I say that because, you know, this is how we do things, right? We just say what happened in our week, whatever that is. Sometimes we have productive weeks and sometimes just having a realization that sort of takes a little bit of weight off off of your workload um, can do wonders. And it did for me. And I feel really good about the decision. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. Sometimes you just need to make those decisions for yourself and what makes sense for you, what makes sense for your schedule. And um, all those things, you have to add them up and, and just really take it apart and go, yeah, I'm going to pursue this or I'm not going to pursue this. And so, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I commend you for realizing this isn't something I'm really into, nor do I need to do this. So let me just go do the things I actually care about and focus on those. Mm-hmm. Right on. Yeah, totally, man. Yeah. Uh, so what about you? What was your first thing? Um, dude, this is the complete opposite of me when I was doing that Kickstarter and the week or two afterwards where I was completely, uh, drained of any inspiration. I didn't want to work on anything. I was basically, uh, wasting time, you know, as, as far as my brain tells me it's, uh, the days that I'm not working on a comic book or a story or, or something like that, I feel like I'm wasting time. 
Now, that is my personal philosophy. That's how I treat myself and my being. And that's what pushes me to constantly make books is because I feel that way. If I'm not being productive in a creative way, I feel like I'm wasting time. That's that's me. doesn't have to be you, anyone else listening to the podcast. Um, this is the complete opposite. I am fucking... I, I, it's like that song, this boy is on fire <laughs> because I am fucking on fire. My friend, I have three pages worth of art done for the Drawtober issue. All those extra panels that I've been working on. I literally have three pages done already. Um, I can't quite remember. Draw what timber. Talk- yeah, man. Yeah. Fucking <laughs> that's what's happening. You know, like yeah. I'm all about the pre-work. And all those extra pages, all those extra panels that I had created for myself, more work that I created for myself, just in order to have a more complete comic book that you weren't completely flying through, um, just with 31 images. We're looking at so many more images than that. And um, I'm knocking them out, man. Like, I I feel great. I think, I can't exactly remember what I had last week. I don't know what I had done. I think maybe one to two panels. Um, But I know that I have 13 panels total done. And I think I had at least one or two of them done uh, last week. So uh, I know for a fact that I completed one page in 24 hours. And that was a seven panel page. It was no small feat. So Mm -hmm. I was really happy with that uh, unto itself. But the fact that I've knocked out three pages in uh, about a uh, one week's time is a great sign. We're getting to the place, I don't know if this is the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hour thing, where it's just like, oh, hey, all the work that you've put into this over the last 10 and a half years is finally paying off. And we're going to go ahead and grant you that speed that you've wanted so much. Um, so something's happened over this last week, or a week to two weeks, where I'm really flowing Things are moving quickly. I'm really happy with the work that I'm producing. Like, even though it's coming quickly, it doesn't feel like it's rushed work. Like, that's the difference. It's not rushed. It's just being done faster. And it's the same quality that I I want, the same amount of lines that I normally throw down, if not more, but just in a shorter period of time. And um, it, it's great, man. It's, it's such a great feeling to be in this state of mind and to have this creative flow going um, because it's such a great flow. I'm not taking the time to do the studying that I have been doing and um, the head sketches that I've been wanting to do to like warm me up. It's just like, no, get straight to the page. And the good and bad of that is um, number one, you're not going to have those head sketches that are adding to that portfolio when the next time I do a convention. But then again, conventions aren't rolling around for myself as far as I know until next year. So that kind of doesn't matter. Um, but I am, I'm burning away these pages at a, such a rapid fire rate that it's okay because that means more books out, which means more books for next year when I start doing conventions. And um, that's worth more to me than having a couple of extra head sketches to sell. So uh, everything's all cylinders are firing. Um, The synapses are going. Um, I'm just uh, excited about my creative journey right now. And uh, it's a good time. That's awesome. I mean, that's great, right? Like the the days where it's flowing or even the weeks where it's flowing, they're so good, dude. You know, so no better feeling. 
No, when, when, when you are, and, and I, I mentioned this maybe in a different context, but you know, there's these moments in, in my first novel, I haven't really had it with this novel, but I expect I will once I get the shitty first draft out of the way and actually figure out what the fuck the novel is. But the, the best days are when you, you not only are productive, but you also go to bed knowing what your path is for the next day. Absolutely. Like, and, and I know for me, you know, in the first novel, it would be like, you'd think you're what you'd, you'd get to a spot and you'd have a problem. And then you'd think your way through the problem. And then you'd be like, okay, I know what the next two or three scenes are going to be, which means I don't have to think big for the next six to eight days. This is great. I can just wake up and write and I know what it's going to be and I know generally what's going to happen. And that's so good, you know, to to do that and not only have a great like rhythm, um, but be productive as hell and also know where you're going tomorrow. You know, to to quote Neil Gaiman, Tomorrow may be hell, but today was a great writing day, and that's all that matters. Yeah, great quote. Um, you know, what's interesting, too, is I already have plans for next year's next year's Drawtober. I know exactly what I'm doing next year just based off of what I'm doing this year. And um, the interesting part about that is this year's Drawtober, next year's Drawtober, uh, the anthology series that I'm doing, Astounding Adventures, um, the Accidental Alien Anthology for 2024 – all of those wrapped together in what I'm doing in this next big story arc for Second Shift. It's all culminating into this giant project where everything's interweaving. And uh, I'm really excited about it. And I think that's also pushing me to to move a lot quicker. It's just like, dude, you got so many irons in the fire. And God damn it, if all these aren't red hot. Like, in my mind, these irons are red hot. And I want them burned onto that cattle. Um, uh you know, no, and keep going, keep going with it. Yeah, more, yeah. more analogy, that, more that, analogy. That that cattle is running the That's, field. It's shooting milk everywhere, and with that a, milk, with a Scott lost brand, and with that a milk, Scott lost brand on that butt. That milk is the creative juices that I have, <laughs> and they're full. They're very. They're, full. they're not flattened. They're very. <laughs> it's they a, are full. It's a full. It's a robust spherical field. <laughs> Of, of cow milk creative juices <laughs> cow milk juices of creative energy <laughs> yeah yeah totally no that's great um i i did want to come back to one thing you said at the beginning which is interesting too which is this idea of of having the feeling of a good day and uh and how you it's just amazing when you when you set your free time up or your time up around creating how good you feel when you actually get a little bit something done every day. Yeah, you know, the the panel a day, uh, you know, thing that I live by, right now it's getting blown out of the water. I mean, I guess not by that much. Like, if you think about it, um, 13 panels total on those three pages. Uh, I think I did one to two panels. So maybe um, seven days, you look at that, seven, eight, nine, um, four extra panels this week as opposed mm-hmm. to the panel a day. So it's not a crazy amount of things, but you also have to factor in that uh, the weekends come. This weekend was really busy. I was actually supposed to get zero work done this weekend with how much shit mm-hmm. we had to do. Um, turns out I was able to find some time and get a few extra panels done in that amount of time. But my real hope with this is this speed continues and I can knock out two pages a week and that'll allow me to potentially get books done anywhere between uh, two to three months, 
you know, and, and that's, that's really the goal that I've set for myself since I started doing this all, to be honest with you. It's like, okay, if I can get a comic book, a comic book done every three months on the independent circuit, that's a pretty solid amount. I think I'm ahead of the game when it comes to that. And, um, I'll feel good about it, you know, and just as long as the quality of work is staying where it's at, then that's really what I care about. It's like, I don't want to put shit out that I'm not proud of. Um, but I have to say, you know, looking over these pages and, and every panel that I've done, I'm like, I'm very proud of this. I'm proud of what I'm doing mm -hmm. right now. So that's always a good yeah. feeling. Yeah, I mean, I, I would even argue the more and more I think about it, the more I think three to four books a year <clears throat> is a great number on the indie circuit. Because what that means is I mean, that's you're going to show what I hit now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, but that's that's a hell of a goal. And, and, and I would argue that anything more than that might get a little obsessive and uh, excessive and cluttered. Oh, right, which is, I'm excessive and obsessive when it comes to yeah. comic books, my friend. So we're already there. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but, but I mean, I think, I think you could argue that you know maybe even if you were even more productive, I'm not sure that would be to your benefit because you might end up with a backlog. Again, that's that's the thing I'm kind of looking at out over my comic landscape and my book landscape. I just see all these things that I have coming out, and I you do need to pace them. You know, you do need to to do a thing, take a breath, and then and then release the other thing, as opposed yeah. to just you know. I, I guess I'm in a slight benefit it. than you, where you're on an invader schedule. You yes. you guys have a schedule in which you do things, which you release things. I have the schedule of when you're finished with it, you can put it out um, mm -hmm. because it's just me. You know, the accidental aliens is just a studio of artists um, putting something under a banner. We're not. We're not a company, you know, we don't have mm -hmm. a schedule. So it's basically when the work gets done, you can put it out. If you have the time to do the Kickstarter or if you want to print it yourself or whatever, um, I'm under, I'm always under the impression that I will be doing Kickstarters for these books and whoever wants it, wants it. And that'll be enough seed money to get that first print run out there. And that's pretty much all I need because then once we start doing these conventions, we'll get these books, all those extra copies will get sold and it'll just equal more money for the next project. And um, so I'm excited about it. I, I want to get out as many books as possible. Like um, I, I mentioned maybe a couple of months back at this point, if I finish this Drawtober issue as well as the end of Wanderers 4, that'll be five issues in one calendar year. Now, it's a slight cheat because most of the work for Second Shift 13 was done in the previous year. I just so happened to wrap it up this year. I think I I think I finished it in February. So I might have finished the art um, at the tail end of January or somewhere in January, or maybe the tail end of December. Um, but it all got colored and we did the Kickstarter, I think, in uh, uh, April, actually. Now that I'm thinking about it, it got pushed back because um, a cover, we didn't have a variant cover. But the work was done. So um, not so much of a cheat, but half of the work was done in the previous year. But five five books a year, it blows my previous number out of the water, which which is pretty standardly two to three issues. And so if I can get to five this year, that'll be fucking killer. Um, if I get to four, I'm still happy with it. But God damn it, I'm being greedy. I'm greedy. Yeah. And I want six issues next year. Yeah. Scott, how many more books can you release? More books. Keith, That's right. <laughs> how many more beers can I drink? More. I don't know that I can. 
<laughs> this this episode will definitely go off the rails if I have any more than this last beer. Um, and I believe do those uh, Dos Desperado hazy IPAs were somewhere around six point five to seven. And uh, <laughs> yeah, bring it. Just bring yeah, it. yeah. And the, I think the skull. I don't know if I said it, but the Sculpin seven. Seven yeah. percent. So we're a, there's some heavy hitting going on today for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're throwing. Hey, we're we're only throwing body blows here. This ain't no jobs. Mm-hmm. Watch your no fucking jabs. kidney, son, <laughs> and your liver. I'm coming. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um. So my second thing. My second thing is uh, not too long after we recorded last week's podcast, I did have a talk with my novel mentor. Um, it turned out that he he was like, hey, you want to talk about it? And I was like, yeah, sure, as opposed to just getting an email. So he gave me some helpful notes um, for for those who might this might be their first episode. I I am, am continuing to shop my novel out there. I've gotten somewhere between 40 and 45. I think the way it works is I've gotten a little over 40 rejections. I have one of them was a full read request, which sort of prompted me hitting up my novel mentor for like, how should I feel right now, etc., and uh, and then I think I have another 10 or so out, including one person who has already requested a full read. Was this the, so, um, so the one that gave the pass, was that the first person that requested the full read? First person, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, I mean, you know, look, you'll always remember your first full read request. It's great. <clears throat> She'll always live on in my heart, but uh, but she didn't want to represent the book after all that. She so broke it's all your heart good. like they always do the first. First, man, so rough. Yeah, I mean, we don't know what our do- what we're doing on our first, right? Like, that's the problem. It's true. You're feeling around. You're like, does this make you feel good? In the story. In the story. It's literary. No, no, you're making a literary metaphor. Right. I get it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, it was really helpful. It was really helpful. It was the grounding that I was looking for. So um, he had a couple really helpful tidbits. Um, the, the first one was, you know, I, I had given him sort of these three options. And, and I gave them to him knowing that there is a menu where you can sort of combine those three options, which is what I plan on doing. I said, do I keep going? That's number one. Do I switch to indie publishers instead of soliciting agents? That's number two. Or number three, do I essentially release the book on Invader, you know, and, and use the Invader tools to go from there? Knowing full well that he is a full advocate of, as we talked about before, throwing the novel in the drawer forever if you don't have number one happen, right? So... So to answer, so then, then I, then we talked a little bit about, you know, the, the, how the pitches are going and, and how many people have said yes. And, I mean, yes to even a full request and, you know, the no's, et cetera. And so his first thing was you're on 40. Don't even consider doing anything until you get 80, 80, 80 no's. You, you wait for 80 no's before you even think about doing anything else. So that was helpful. It was helpful to hear. That's what I was looking for. I was just looking for this grounding of like, is 40 a lot or is it a little? And in, and what he said was 40 seems like a lot, but it's not. There are so many agents out there with so many different tastes. You just never know. So then his next line was, so you've gotten two full read requests out of 40. And he's like, I, I feel that's a little low. I was, I was, I would, I would expect somewhere around double that maybe four, maybe five full read requests. So again, very helpful, right? At least I'm getting some some actual numbers on what I should expect. And so then what he did was, I'm not gonna share these notes, but he, he, he said, look, from what I remember of your novel, and I remember your novel, this certain thing was the, the real appeal of it, the thing that I, I, I take with me today. 
And I wonder if your query letter is not doing that enough justice. You know, so so given given basically, I mean, he's he left this unsaid, but sort of, you know, the novel isn't the thing you rewrite. You don't rewrite the content, but maybe the query letter needs some needs some some tweaking. So um, so what he offered was to take another look at my query and and what we what we arrived at. I said, OK, look, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you two queries. I'm going to give you the one that I just sent the other day basically the template for the queries I sent the other day. And then I'm going to give you a second one where I try to sizzle it up a little bit based on the feedback you just gave me. So I basically took a pass at it at an improved query and sent that to him and we'll see what he says. So he might get back to me tomorrow. He might get back to me by the time this podcast airs or it might be a week or two, but it's okay because I can hold off a little bit on the, um, on the query process and then uh and then just continue on once he gives me the revised uh query query letter right so so that was thing that was like the first big thing that was helpful is that we think that there might be a query angle that can be improved we think we might be able to sell it a little bit more and he is willing to help on that the second thing he mentioned was talking about these three options right so his thing was you know Clearly, by me saying that you need to go to 80 agents or get 80 no's before you even think about it, that's the way you need to go for now. But if down the road you get to 80, he's like, look, indie publishers, that's that's a thing. You can do that, right? That's an option. It shouldn't be that hard for your book to get out there that way. The third option, the the release it kind of yourself and 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 use all the the you know, mechanisms, whatever that you have at your disposal. He said, usually I wouldn't recommend this to people, but you, Keith, you, you have a DIY ethic. You've been doing this for a long time. You have a base. You, you've been successful at the stuff that you've been working on already. So I think in your case, that's a viable option that you should consider if, if you go down the road. So there was something very wonderful about that because y- you get me and you understand me and you know me, right? And and I, and I like that so much. So it was great to hear because he could have just come back and said, now nah, my stock answer is my stock answer. But because he knows, you know, that I make comics um, and he knows all the things that sort of go along with that and he knows that I've been in the industry for a decade plus, um, then then this is a, a viable option. I thought that was really helpful. So it was it was a great... Great way to get me grounded. Um, he also gave me another little tidbit, which was good, which which was, you know, yeah, just go ahead and send it out to, you know, 20 agents at a time, whatever. And I was like, oh, you told me 10 before. He's like, oh, you can do 20. Go for there. You know, so that's good because that that halves my time to, to, to get to the 80, right? Again, I, I don't want 80 rejections. I want to get this accepted, but I'd like to get there as fast. You know, if you're going to fail, fail fast, right? Like that's a, that's an adage that I heard from somewhere. That's always a big thing, right? Like fail fast. And the sooner I can get to 80 rejections or get an acceptance, the better. So the fact that I can double my volume of queries out there at the same time is great. So once I get his note back, I'll ramp it up to having even more queries in circulation. And then if I get a no, I put another one right back out on top of it and I go from there. So really helpful, really wonderful. And again, this is the information that like it's taken me a very long time to get. So if this is helping you, then then bravo and, and props to you. And uh, and you don't have to live it.
Yeah, definitely. Um, if you do have a mentor, like much like Keith, and, and they have a spot of information that you can gather for them from them um, before you start this process, before you're sending out in, uh, query letters to, you know, publications like uh, agents and such. Um, find out what is the most interesting part of that book. What what drives mm -hmm. home with you? What sticks with you? And that's something that you would want to include into that query. Um, yeah. And also, I don't see the problem in, in shooting between 10 to 20 to even 30, you know, like yeah. at a time. Like, what's the worst case scenario? You get 30 rejections instead of 10, and you know, yeah. or you send out 30 and you get five acceptances. And then you yeah. get to go like, okay, let's check these company companies out. Let's see who is, uh, you know, kind of the bigger name, who has a better track record, et cetera. And then you get to pick and choose, you know, your suitor in that sense. Right, right. So I'm, I'm all for that. The only reason that, that it's even the way it is is because the way that, you know, you, you have to find an agent that actually cares about your genre. And, and with horror... You know, the funny thing about horror is um, it's it's simultaneously a thing everybody thinks is popular all the time and yet a thing that is not quite as popular as you think. And so, you know, people have been saying horror is hot right now for 40 years, maybe longer. And on some level, horror is, of course, hot right now. But if that was the case, then every agent that I came across in Query Tracker would accept horror and like that's not their jam. So, you know, there is some degree of curation that has to happen where you not only have to find an agent that likes horror, you have to find an agent that likes the kind of stuff that that gives you the maximum chance for success. Because what you don't want to do is just barf it out to a whole ton of agents so that you can meet a stat, right? So there is some degree of like selection that's going on, if not a pretty good degree of selection. So I'll get to the 80. You know, again, I have a path to the 80. If if I get to 80, it'll be sometime in early 2025, which or 2024, which is right in line with my timeline anyway. So it's all good. Right on. But yeah, great point. Yeah. All right, man. So that brings us to thing number two. Yeah. For your voice got lost. Um, yeah, I've been getting more pages back from Joaquin, more colored pages for uh, for Paradise Hills. And the last couple of pages, there has been way less changes. I think uh, the second to last page had zero changes, which was awesome. It felt good for me to go, there's no changes, because Joaquin is my guy. We've been working together for 10 plus years. And the thing that I hate most is making giving him more work than he deserves. And mm -hmm. so um, I just know moving forward that going with these projects, even if I do have a flatter, I'm going to have to go back in on those pages and change the characters to the colors that I want them, especially with a brand new world. So this is more of a learning lesson for me. And, uh, you know, so doing this for 10 plus years, those still happen. You still need to mm -hmm. figure shit out. You know, there's something that you might come across that you really didn't before. Like, because I've used this flatter for quite some time now, but I haven't used this flatter on a new project. Like, he always does second shift. Joaquin has a color guide for all the main characters. He knows what color everything is in those stories. So, um, yeah, this was a case of me fucking up, essentially, and not doing enough prep work for him and kind of, like, guiding his hand in, in what he's supposed to be doing. But it's good to see that we are kind of back on track and there's way less connection or um, excuse me corrections um, but one thing I did notice on the last pages so the images that I sent him were uh, screen caps of Studio Ghibli films 
And something that I noticed, even when I sent it to him, the characters usually do not have a highlight. It's usually the main color and then a cell shade. And so those are the, the screen caps I sent him. I gave him, hey, make it like this. And he has been doing that. The problem is, it, it, it still keeps the, the image a little flat for me. I'm like, the characters look flat. I don't want them to feel flat. Um, let's do some highlights. So that was the note I gave him on the last page was, hey, you know what? Actually, can you do this? I know this wasn't part of the original pitch to you, but if you could add some highlights to these characters to kind of just round them out a little bit more. And um, the style of coloring that he's doing is very reminiscent of my Drawtober projects from 2000. 20 and 21 or 21 22 i can't remember at this point not with three beers in you you can't no 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 i think 2021 20, yeah 22 i had um wanders four which is not even complete yet so yeah so anyway um he didn't respond <laughs> always a terrible sign so he's not having a great time with that note. Um, but it, the note is there. It is what I'm looking forward to or looking for. And um, it is what it is. So hopefully he'll be cool with it. And then moving forward, um, everything will be okay. I think I have about five pages done from him. And again, this is a 12-page story with cover. So um, I, I think we're in still good a good space where he has enough time where he's received enough notes that he'll know moving forward exactly what's expected of him. And um, hopefully no more corrections moving forward. Yeah, good deal, man. That that's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, I'm. <clears throat> it's it's not going to be a, a an item of mine yet. And and you've had a front row seat for this, but you know I'm I'm testing out um, who I think uh, sh- could be the artist for Animals Number Two, um, but I'm also waiting on their receptiveness to feedback, you know, because mm. that's that's crucial too. So Absolutely. that that's going to be that's going to be the final piece, you know, like everything, all the boxes are being checked. I've gotten a couple test pages, and and uh, you know, they look great, but. The receptiveness to feedback, like if, if, and this is one of those things of like, if I'm the client, do what I say, please. You know, like I, I, there's always a degree of, I I want artists to be artists, but you know, you've, you've seen the kind of corrections that I'm talking about. And they're the kind of corrections that are pretty legit. I mean, they are very legit asks the things I'm going for. I am not being a dickhead client or anything. I'm not being irrational. I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to make good fixes. So part of that is, you know, look, you you know this from from being both Scott, side Scott. Sometimes you're the contractor, and sometimes you're the client. And uh, and then in this case, you're the client, and and the what what the client wants needs to stand. So you know all all really rational stuff and all good news, and uh, and hopefully things smooth out as we we cruise on through to the end of this uh, this project of yours. Yeah, the the test pages you shared them with me and Gary. Um, we thought. Uh, three pages total from this guy last time we checked in he had done a page where we're like that's a solid page but it doesn't have any animals on it um Mm -hmm. i I enjoyed it i think more so than i don't know other people but i I thought it was super solid i thought it fell in line with um ed uh condon yeah ed condon and um i thought it fell in line very well with with the style of work that he was doing and then these uh, the secondary and tertiary pages that he sent, um, I was like, he's completely aping Ed's style, which is mm-hmm. something he said he didn't want to do or yeah, wasn't going curious, to do. Right? Yeah. And then he went and go went and did it on his own. You're like, yeah, I mm-hmm. didn't ask you to do that. And uh, when he sent those pages over, uh, I pointed out to you and Gary, I was like, 
yeah, he's aping Ed's style. Here's examples yeah. of exactly how Ed did it, and here's what mm-hmm. he's doing. And, and Gary right yeah. away was like, yep, I see that. I see what he's doing. And yeah. um, the first page was beautiful. Or, or I guess second second page um, was beautiful out of the three. And I was mm-hmm. like, that's it. That's the thing. That's, that's exactly, mm-hmm. I think, what you're looking for. And um, I thought it was a step up. Uh, and I was like, yeah, this that's is the real. thing. That was my that was my quick counter, right? That like I I think it's actually a improvement on the on the design of Ed's style. Correct. You know yes. the one page, right? The second page again. That's that's the one. All I'm waiting to to come to hear back on is, are you taking my notes? Right. Yes. And and I think that's a very reasonable request. As Absolutely. long as that happens, then I've got myself an artist for animals too, and I'm super excited because again the the one page we got. And an improvement on the design, Ed 2.0, you know, the, yep. the evolved, uh, uh, better version. So yeah, man, it's, it's great. And, uh, and I'm just waiting to hear back, but it's that po- thing of like getting the dialogue with the person that's delivering stuff to you and making sure they're comfortable with the changes. And, you know, you look, you can, you can not talk to me for four days. Just, just make the changes. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You don't have to be happy. You don't have to be happy. Just make the changes. I know Joaquin's <laughs> right? not happy with all these changes, but he's going to make yeah. them. You know, exactly. The, the money's good. Our relationship is good. And so, you know, you move from there. And um, yeah, uh, fingers crossed. He does. He is cool with it. He's receptive to changes. And, um, you know, I think I think you're you're in good standing if he does accept those changes. And uh, yeah. I think it'll look good and it'll uh, be a smooth transition if you guys do, in fact, decide to collect that in one volume. Um, mm-hmm. I think it'll be, you know, and I had mentioned uh, in the chat was like, I'd be hard pressed to tell the styles apart. If you if yep. you took all their pages, you mixed them up in a pile. Um, I couldn't tell you whose was whose. So yep. that's a very good thing for sure. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and yeah, the to your point, one one final note on that. The interesting thing is that. At first, I, I think like on first blanche, it's like, oh, yeah, he's he's aping Ed's style. But then when you more dial into it, it's like, no, 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 there's lots of elements of his own style here, which are really cool and which I see once I pay more attention to. So, yeah, really cool. Again, lots of promise, but it's not a done deal yet. So we'll we'll see and we'll probably check back in next week. Yeah, there was um, one animal in particular on that. On um, He sent you two pages. So one out of those two pages, the first page, one of the animals I was like, that's really nice. That's really nice yeah. looking. And then there was a human character. I was like, that's beautifully rendered. Like I really yeah. enjoyed looking to it. And, um, I would keep coming back to that. And I had mentioned to you both. I'm, I keep coming back to this page. It's a beautiful page. I really like it. Yeah. So yeah. Hope yeah, it all works. Exactly. Out. Yeah, man. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. So I, I have one more thing. Yeah. And it's, it's a quick thing, but it's, it's worth noting that, you know, again, in, in a week, uh, a chunk of time where I'm carving out whatever time I can, I decided to sit down and hack out issue three of the time travel comic. Oh, shit. Because my, my loose goal is to go ahead and get that written by the end of the month. So what I believe I've, I've successfully done is already written the skeleton of this uh, story. And it was kind of cool because I, I, I did a first cut of the skeleton and I got myself to 10 scenes. And I was like, that's too many fucking scenes. I know by doing this for 10 years that generally for me a good comic has somewhere between six and eight scenes over 22 pages if you have more pages than that feel free to multiply accordingly you know if you want to somehow turn what i'm saying into like sort of a guideline right right yeah like 10 pages for let's say 22 pages that's you're given 
each 10 scenes. Yeah. It's, you're that's giving not, it's just, two pages per 10 scenes. Like that's not enough. Yeah. Not enough. Exactly. So that's, and then I was like, well, I'm just going to cut these two scenes. So that's what I did. So eight scenes, 22 ish pages feels much better because one of the scenes is like a one page kind of mishmash and, and we'll go from there. So I feel good about it. And now it's just a matter of me. I'm going to tweak it a little bit more. And then again, you know, once, once I put my mother on the plane and you know, I've enjoyed my time and all that stuff. And then, then, and only then will I care about any kind of creativity shit. Um, then I'll worry about it. Right. But, uh, but in the meantime, I can kind of screw around and, and position it and, and make it feel right. Right. All you can do is what you can do. You know what I mean? Like if, 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 you have someone in town, whether it be your mother, a friend, etc. You're going to dedicate most of your time with that person, or you know, pick thing, whatever X thing is that is um, keeping you from working full time on your creative endeavor. It's going to take away from that, and anything that you do beyond those things is a bonus. So the fact that you're actually still getting a rough shit out while she's here, totally. that's great, man. Yeah, everything, yeah. everything while she here, while she's here, is a bonus for sure. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you got anything else? No, man. Um, no, I, th- I think that's it. To be honest with you, I'm just like totally pulled in with this Drawtober stuff and uh, getting those colors back. And uh, beyond that, I, I did contact uh, my buddy. Um, he was the connection for that one project that I was I was having such a hard time with. Uh, figuring the layout out. And I just did a quick follow-up. I said, hey, man, just wanted to make sure you sent that over to the client um, because he said he was going to do it over the week or uh, as soon as the weekend was over. Um, So I was just like, okay, haven't heard anything. Didn't know if he already sent it, but let me just give him a quick reminder. Hey, if you hadn't sent it, did you send it? Um, So um, he said he did send it over. Not sure when, but he did send it over and he's waiting to hear back. So that's good enough for me. Okay. Yeah. Rock and roll, good stuff to be continued, and uh, and you know what it's time for. It's time for the main topic. Okay, so hey, let's let's start this off. We got a a message from Levi Kleeman. Um, question for the lads on the pod: Been working, uh, excuse me, been making my way through the backlog of episodes so far. Uh, so forgive me if you have covered this in earlier episodes, but just interested in how you guys approach action in your comics. The fight choreography, how deep do you go? What is the max pages you'll put a single fight? Do you look at other comics or movies or watch wrestling or MMA for inspiration? Do you take, excuse me, do you take embarrassing photos of yourself to get the right pose? Do you need to map it out uh, so the movement in the room makes sense? Is it fun or do you find them to be snakes in the burning building or whatever you guys usually say? How much of it (laughs) how much of it is up to you as the artist or is it the writer's job to tell exactly what sorts of moves are thrown and that again is from uh levi cleveman and we've uh heard from levi before so we appreciate the uh uh, message and a hell of an artist might i say hell yeah and 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 an intercontinent oh fuck do not drink an eight percent beer try to say that word intercontinental (laughs) inter an intercontinental friend in making comics that's what i was yeah (laughs) i'm not editing that at all no he is a a belief from australia so in the context of what levi is saying um yeah there's absolutely things where i'm like hey what will your legs look like um if you were doing this particular movement how would your body be turning etc so yeah i will um 
if need be, I will get down to my skivvies. I will take off my shirt, my shorts, or whatever I'm wearing. So I if can... need be. Oh, well, <laughs> got to take off my clothes, guys. Well, sometimes Sorry. it's just <laughs> an upper body shot. And then so I just yeah. remove my pants on instinct. Um, do you, but do you do like a, do you do like before quick quick question before you do the upper body shot do you, uh, do you do like a party pump? Oh, I do. I do. Uh, I get club buff um, as <laughs> as uh, mentioned to me back into the day. I, I believe Ed had had called it that. It was like, oh, you just get club buff, and I'm like, what the fuck is that? And it's like, oh, where you just do upper body because you're gonna go out in the club, so you just do a bunch yep. of curls and push ups and shit. And um, no, overall, I don't do that because it's not so much the muscle structure. Well, I guess it is the muscle structure that I'm copying, but. Um, I understand the anatomy enough to go like, okay, that's what my arm looks like, but I know what a good looking bicep looks like or tricep, you know, et cetera. So you, you kind of like, okay, I just need the framework of it. Um, and then you, you know, you go from there, but yeah, tons and tons of embarrassing photos on my phone. And, um, uh, yeah, it is very common. If you, if you really want to get shit right, I do recommend you people are doing that, uh, switch the reverse camera mode, uh, reverse camera facing mode. So you can get the exact shot that you want. Uh, whatever you're doing, is it the hand? Is it the whole body? You know, is it your head that at a particular weird angle that you're trying to get? Um, all of that is afforded to you with these reverse facing cameras. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to let you sort of take the rest here and then I'll, I'll bounce off you, but that is one thing that like, I, I don't draw, but you know, look, you can buy like a reference doll and you can pose that or you're the goddamn reference doll. All you have to do is turn your camera around and make the pose. And now you've got yourself a nice reference without having to pay for a doll that you sit around and pose in a certain way. You're the damn doll. So, yep. yeah, don't be afraid to use yourself. I, th I think there's a lot of intelligence baked into that embarrassing photos of yourself question from Levi in the first place. Yeah, and, and one thing with those dolls is that, look, they, they are very helpful at certain angles. It's like, oh, shit, yeah, okay, how do I get this angle? You know, you got these little dolls, dolls you can pull, uh, pose them accordingly. But there is a sense of realism that you will not get with those dolls. There's a sense of stiffness that you'll get with those dolls that you won't have if you do it yourself. If you're, like, throwing a punch and you want to hold that pose, you can do that. If you do it with enough action and energy... Um, and you're, you know, like you, you can check it out in, in the phone and you're like, yeah, it looks stiff the way I'm doing it. You know, you, you can work it to where you need it to be. And that's the beauty of these reverse facing phones, like the iPhone specifically. I can't, I, I can't talk to you about some Samsung or Google or whatever. Um, but the iPhone has a three second delay or a 10 second delay. Um, so whatever you're trying to do, you can get that accomplished and I use it all the time. You know, those dolls, what they're great for is these really weird shots and angles that maybe won't come so naturally for you. Um, you doing it, like setting your phone, like, let's see, you're trying to get this extreme up angle and you can do this. You can place your phone on the ground at a certain angle, hit that three to 10 second mark and get in the pose in which you need to get. And you have this amazing up angle, but you can also achieve that with those dolls. So um, if you understand anatomy enough and just the human form, you can you can achieve those with the dolls. But hey, if you're trying to save some money, um, you are your own best model. So if you need your hand in a certain position, etc., you can do that with those cameras. 
Um, okay, so we'll move on to the fight choreography. How deep do you go? Um, what's the max amount of pages you'll put in a single fight? Now, I answered some of these questions to Levi directly, um, just so he didn't have to wait for the episode. But um, my answer was, it all depends on what part of the book you're doing, how extensive the fight is going to be. That's the maximum pa uh, amount of pages that you need. So you just need to think about where... Is this the big fight? Is this the culmination of your story arc? So, for instance, Second Shift Volume 1, Issue 5 is almost a full issue of a fight scene. It's broken mm -hmm. up. There's a little bit of a chase there, but there's fighting throughout, and so the majority of that book is a fight scene. So you have four issues of storytelling, some fights here and there. You get, you know, you get you get the action throughout all four issues. There's action, there's fighting in all four issues, but they're relatively brief. They might be two pages. They might be three pages. They might be one page. Um, so it's all about what part of the story you're in, and that's how much you need to tell. Um, for instance, Savage Dragon or Invincible, we'll use those two as an example. They are two books that primarily start you off in a fight scene. That's usually roughly how it goes. The book starts off in a fight scene. It's usually a minor villain that takes one to three pages at most to dispatch, and then you get into the story. You, uh, you get into the character development, etc. So based on that, that's how long that fight needs to be. It only needs to be a couple of pages because this is a minor villain. It's a nuisance. It's something to show you the power of the main character. And then it also helps you see the power of that villain. Okay, is this a, a secondary villain? It's obviously, if it's in the beginning of an issue, it's more than mm -hmm. likely not a primary villain. It's more than, like, more than likely a secondary or a tertiary villain. And so you can dispatch them accordingly. One to three pages is more than enough. Um, if it's a culmination of a fight from one of your main villains, you're going to go ahead and want to put a little more time into that and just where you are in the story. Like, let's say you have one villain in, in a story arc. And so your heroes encounter them. Okay, they initially encounter them. Maybe they're defeated quickly. This, this villain is stronger than they thought. Maybe that's two to three pages. And then later on, when you have the big fight scene at the end of this storyline, maybe it's 10 pages, maybe it's eight pages, you know? So it's up to you to figure out where you are in that part of the story and how many pages it takes to defeat that villain. You know, sometimes it's quicker than others. You know, it's just like, hey, this 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 villain here, he's a major villain, but he doesn't necessarily have the strength in order to defend himself for a long period of time. So uh, it's really a case-by-case -case situation, and um, you really just have to think about where you are in that story and move from there. Yeah, I, I very much co-sign on that. <clears throat> so much so that while Scott was talking, I was also looking through my couple volumes of Kadoja as a reference. Because I think that's, for me, I mean, Kadoja and Three Protectors are, are really good references for, for action. Animals, not so much. Animals is a different kind of story. Different kind of beast. Yeah. But can you be... Oh, fuck, I can't remember the thing. But can you be man and beast at the same time? What the fuck does that mean, Kobe Bryant? <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyway. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I got to say that. Okay, so 
gut gut call gut call for me as a writer in terms of what I think the right balance is is I think action action should at most be slightly less than 50% of your story that's that's my own mantra but I wanted to see where I broke that rule and so I flipped through just as Scott was talking I did a very quick pass through the end of volume one which is basically the fifth issue and what I was expecting was for 80% of that fifth issue to be the final fight I was wrong it is less than 50 so I actually held to my rule even in the final big confrontation of volume one volume two however the entire issue was basically a fight and 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 again, I think to Scott's point, it, it's gonna it's gonna time to the kind of thing you're doing and the kind uh, and the place in your not only your your individual story but your overall story in terms of how big that fight is, and then you sort of ramp up or ramp down. Yeah, that that's exactly what I was going to say. It's like Kadoja is yes, there are X amount of volumes, but each one is part of a whole and you're ramping up accordingly you know your first volume is okay it's your opening match essentially for kadoja mm-hmm. the second one is okay we're moving up in weight class what do we got now okay it's going to take a little longer it's going to be more pages because this is a bigger threat than than kadoja has faced before so mm-hmm. it's all on what you're doing with your storyline if this is a, a minor villain that's an inconvenience or are we ramping up to something bigger a culmination volume five um this is the big big bad we're going to go from there it might be the whole last arc or, or last issue i mean and uh you know so it's all about where you are in that story absolutely absolutely and and i think it's so i mean these are guidelines like anything mm-hmm. you know based on what scott says you would think that my my final two entire issues of the kadoja story would be full fighting that's not the case because there's other stuff I need to do there as well. So it's, you know, to, to add a little element there, it's also sort of what what the larger pacing of the story you want to be is. And I, and I think, you know, offhand, I think you can look to like in the Infinity Gauntlet saga that way, right? Like in, in the final, final movie, there was in fact a big fight, but there was a bigger balance than you think of fighting and not fighting in that, in, in the final, final one. Again, Infinity Quest, Infinity War. War. I think War was the third. Yeah. Or was it Infinity War? <laughs> Shit. They all just played instruments at the end. And then a giant monster ate the lead singer. Odorous, Odorous's master plan, as always. So, uh, okay, so yeah. So- Again, I, I think, I think there's there's nuances there. I think as a ballpark, I would I would caution over action being more than fifty percent of an issue, unless you have a really good reason, like the end of an arc. I think if we're just going with like a thumbnail kind of rule, uh, I'm going to back this up with data. By the way, I I have done panels at comic conventions on not only Godzilla movies but kung fu movies. And how more action correlates into overall enjoyment. So what I did was I graphed percent of action in the movie, aka. So in Godzilla's cases, in Godzilla's cases, I sat there with a stopwatch and timed how much action there was. In the kung fu cases, it's actually in this book I got about all the kung fu movies. They tell you what percentage of the time is action, and then I graphed how much action there was against 
what the IMDb film rating was. And what, what you find is there is a sweet spot of action where the, again, so many other factors go into enjoyment of the movie, but I think in the, in the hugeness of the numbers, you get something interesting there. And I think there is a sweet spot right around the 50% action ratio, maybe a little bit less in movies where the highest rated films do seem to have slightly less than 50% of action. There's Kung Fu films out there. That's like 80% action, but like they're terribly rated. They're not very good. So you, you are going to need that balance. So does that mean it works for your story? No. I'm just telling you what the numbers say and the numbers are grinding a couple hundred films worth of stuff in action genres. So take with that what you will and and go forth. Okay, so there was part of Levi's question. How much of it is up to you as the artist or is the right uh, is the writer's job to tell you exactly what sort of moves to throw uh, are thrown? So Keith, when you when you do write your stories, um, do you give your artist, hey, I need X amount of pages of action, or do you go have at it? What's your experience with that? Um, how do you um, how do you tackle that? As yeah, writer? I mean that's a that's a that's a great question. I I think it's going to boil down though to artist preference. You know, um, to to kind of call back to a refrain that I I may have mentioned before a time or two on the podcast. You know, Rory Smith just wanted me to tell him six pages of fighting. Here's all the dialogue you need to fit in. Here's the characters go to town. I don't care what you do. Right. Or, or make sure these things happen. Item one, item two, item three, make sure this dialogue all fits. Here's all the dialogue for everybody else. They've, they've asked me to be more prescriptive. Um, I will say that my personal preference is somewhere between the two. Like, I think my dream artist would be the kind of person where I could say, look, there's four basically close to Rory, but maybe with a little bit more. You know, this this scene is four pages of fighting. I need the following things to happen within those four pages. Here's the dialogue. And then just do whatever you want. Right. Because I want an artist to have fun and I don't want an artist to feel too much like they're just drawing to this rigorous script. Right. So for me, that's, that's the spot where I'm most comfortable working with an artist. If an artist wants more direction, I'm happy to provide it. But, you know, in my, in my bestest world, I think it's, it's sort of a, you know, a fusion of the two where one person's just like eight pages, make it happen. <laughs> right. And the other one is like, I need a, a detailed panel by panel. So I, I think it comes down to, I mean, you were the one, you know, what the Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo, Batman thing, right? Like Scott yep. was very prescriptive back in the days and Greg didn't like that. Right. Scott learned to work with Greg and be less prescriptive and let Greg Capullo be Greg Capullo. And the results were amazing. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, and then I would say uh, this is the last part of Levi's uh, message, that email that we did not go over so far. Is it fun or do you find them to be burning snakes in the building or whatever you guys say? Um, I love it. So as a ex-pro wrestler for someone that was a pro wrestler for 10 years, um, fight choreography is my jam. It is what I know how to do the best out of anything. And um, I would say... If people gave me notes on my books over the years, what needs to be improved, I would say 90, 85 to 90% of it um, was not the fight choreography. I think the fight choreography, if you look at it, at it move by move, you understand exactly what's going on. And, um, you know, like I think 
over the years, I learned what to draw and what not to draw. But if you looked at the flow of action, you can go, yeah, I could see the fight choreography in this. It moves smoothly. So it, it's what I know how to do. Um, I'm, I love doing it. It is very fun. And uh, so definitely not snakes in a burning, burning building for sure for me. I think the best way the best way to describe it from my point of view is action should never be snakes in a burning building action should never feel like a burden and you know i'm 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 taking levi's question and baking in probably some real world experience there which is it sounds like he might be working with a writer um, on this particular project or on an occasional project i'm not sure um but but yeah action is why I think most of us got into comics at the age we did. You know, I, my my hunch would be that if someone got into comics at, at an adult age, they were probably, their their ratio of interest in action to interest in plot, dialogue, etc. It's probably lower, right? If you're older, I think you're more likely to appreciate the, 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 the grown-up shit, right? If you're younger, you want the action, man. You're, you're not, you're not going to go tell your buddies about, you know, like to use my example, right? You're not going to talk about the in secret wars. You're not going to talk about the interplay and Dr. Doom's quest for power against the beyonder and Galactus. You're going to say the Hulk was holding up a fucking mountain. If action feels like a burden, then I, I would challenge the source of why that is and see if you can change that source and make sure that the action is a source of joy because it's a source of joy for most people that read comics and therefore it it, it is hopefully an equal source of joy from the people that are making them. Yeah, I think if you're an artist that you do not like you do not like or enjoy doing action scenes, then you possibly are an artist that just enjoy slice of life comic books. Um, anything that is not a uh, superhero book for one and two, a book with a lot of action, you're just in the wrong genre and you probably need to switch genres. Um, and in fairness, you know, you make a good point, right? Like Daniel Close is the shit, right? Not a lot of action there, right? So you, you can definitely do it, but I, I definitely get the feeling from Levi's point of view that there's, you know, this is an action based comic, etc. Right. So, but, yeah. but, but great point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, also another suggestion. If you are, let's say you are an artist writer and you're trying to figure out the flow of certain books and like how much the exact right amount is, this is something I've done before. I believe I've mentioned this on the pod before. Uh, I actually went through issues of Invincible and started writing down how many how many of the pages were action and how many pages of uh, were just character development. And... You can kind of learn something off of that. Like it's like Robert Kirkman is a very uh, efficient writer. He is a very profound writer. He has a giant catalog of work. So you can take your favorite writer and go through their books and see what the percentages of writing goes as far as uh, character development as opposed to action, where that action is placed in those stories. And then eventually, I think you might be able to pick up a like kind of a bit of an algorithm as far mm-hmm. as how they lay out their books. And yeah. that's something I believe I heard, uh, read or heard a writer say was, or excuse me, an artist say, was that they work with so many writers that they were able to figure out Okay, how much of action do I need? How much? Uh, how many pages of dialogue do I need? Talking heads, character v- development, whatever you want to call it. So 
it's it's a bit breaking down comic books in a way to where you can kind of figure out this is the template. Okay, if you if you do X amount, let's say Robert Kirkman, let's stick with Kirkman. If you do X amount of Robert Kirkman's books and you go, oh, there is a method to this madness in in which he does books. You can follow that method and and at a certain point you can figure it out and then you can start branching out on your own. So, uh, you know, that's just another little helpful guide that, that you can possibly take or not take whatever you feel like doing. Um, but I think as the artist, cause Levi, um, is, is the artist. I believe he's also the writer of this book that he's working on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it'll help you kind of figure out, okay, what's the percentages of writing and, uh, fighting that I need to do. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I guess I, I do have one final thing. It goes back to, again, mentioned on some previous episode, whenever I saw a, a hilarious fake decision tree that someone had done about the writer James S.A. Corey, who wrote uh, the Expanse series. It's actually two writers writing under a pseudonym. but uh, And, and it's, it's, it's a decision tree that I definitely follow whenever I have a comic that features action. Does it kick ass? Yes. If yes, write it. If no, don't write it, <laughs> right? And, it reminds yeah. me of a, McFarlane has a similar thing was, is it cool? Yeah. Is what you're doing cool? If it's not right. cool, then stop doing it. <laughs> then don't do it. Yeah, it's exactly. Like, fuck if that's not the easiest formula of, uh, totally. of figuring shit out. Oh, and to go back to something you said, um, as a younger person, you might not go, man, I love this melancholy shit in the story. I'm here for the action, but I'm here to tell you one of my favorite things about the X-Men was when the X-Men was doing average mundane shit, when they were doing those John Byrne uh, issues of girls go shopping or like X-Men play basketball or X-Men play baseball. It's just like, you're like me. You're doing the things that I do. I found, or the romantic interests in the story. I found those to be the most appealing parts of the story. Uh, next to the superheroing. It was like the superheroing was cool because this is a superhero comic. We expect it. Superheroing is expected from these books, but when you get extra out of it, that's the stuff that you don't realize you really do appreciate. And like you said, as we get older, that's the shit we know we appreciate because we're living the life. We understand how that is. But even as a young person, I did enjoy those aspects of those books. Uh, yeah, I think so. I, th- I think it's I think it's balance. I mean, maybe I misspoke, or maybe it was just the beer speaking for me. But no, I, mean, I, I, th- again, I action action is point. action is definitely the hook, mm-hmm. and and it's the other. It, it it goes back to my favorite adage, right? Art gets you, writing keeps you. I think action gets you, and story keeps you. Yeah. Hey, you know, and I, and I'm like, I'm not the barometer for everyone in the world. Like kids, pro- like other kids might have hated that extra shit, but it's something mm-hmm. that I enjoyed. And that's what made me stay attached to the X-Men over the years. It was just those personal relationships ha- that they had with each other was very interesting to me. And then like, if you know anything about me, it's like all about friends and family when it comes to my books. So, yeah. I mean, look, friends, how many of us have them? friends ones we can depend on right so we all get it we all get it yeah i believe that Um, was the um uh uh, subtitle of one of the x-men series (laughs) all right well hey man i think we did it uh you got anything else i actually don't i i'm it's, it's a pretty light bullshit week for me i don't really have my usual dose of nonsense i got one thing 
Let's this do is, it. This is the thing I wasn't going to bring up until I actually received it in hand. And I received it in hand. And this is also while my bu- my bullshit is going to be very light. Because I got Daredevil, Golden Age Daredevil, number two, for $189. It's a fucking steal. Now, granted, a lot of the pages are detached, but that's okay. This book is from 1945. Um, the cover actually looks really good. It's probably one of my better looking covers of the books that I have. So I have almost to, I would close to 0% um, chance of me opening, opening this book and just leaving it mm-hmm. in plastic because it is such an old book and it is falling apart. But there's part of me that goes, you should open it. So we'll see. We'll see what, what a better part of my brain, uh, you know, takes control and we see what we do. But it was a huge purchase. It made me go, eBay, you and I, we're on a break. We're we done need for to take a while. We need some time apart. You know what? <laughs> yeah. I need to work fun. on me. Yeah. I need, I need to, to work, work on me. This has been fun. <laughs> it's not you. It's me. I have a purchasing problem. And you yeah. know what? Yeah. You're, you're just like, it's like an addict. You're the yeah. drugs. You know? And, yeah. and I just got to... We, 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 we kind of really bring out the worst in each other, don't we, eBay? And they're like, I get a percentage. And I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> like, shut up, eBay. Nobody asked you. <laughs> please, baby, baby, yeah. please, please, baby, baby, please. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, so yeah, uh, that was my big thing. Um, beyond that, I did get a couple of indie books in that I've been waiting for. And it's for part of the Drawtober project that I, I have been working on. And uh, I wasn't too familiar with some of these characters. And, man, I got one of one of the characters I had no information on, really. Um, I read it. It is a fantastic indie book. I was like, this is legitimately a good independent book. I really enjoyed mm-hmm. this book. I will gladly pick up more issues of this series from this creator um, just nice. based off of uh, this one issue. The The character was not what I thought it was, and it was quite a pleasant surprise. And, um, yeah, so I enjoy that. And nice. uh, yeah, I'll just say it, whatever. It's uh, um, Savage Dragon um, and Johnny Raygun was the issue that I picked up. And um, I love Savage Dragon. You guys know about me and my Savage Dragon kick. And so I was like, let me pick up this issue. And the character was just... Johnny Raygun is such a fun character. There's just this fuck up. And uh, and he has those like 90s uh, bangs that he's got going on. And it's a, it's a good time. It's a good time for sure. So if you're into independence, uh, try to pick up some Johnny Raygun books. Um, nice. uh, and you'll enjoy them. I should do just one minor thing on top of that, which is... Um, uh, I ended up being uh, available to record this a little earlier than Scott had planned, so I had a few minutes to kill, and I pulled the top of my chicken bone stack of Thor, and on top of it was 409, the one with the amazing cover with Doom holding Thor and Hercules in the hourglass, so I read that. It was fun enough. It was nice. Nice, fun, you know, superhero, light, fair to read. I get to the end. There's a backup story drawn by Mike Mignola. Oh, How shit. cool is that shit? Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, very cool, right? So like a little six, eight page backup uh, with Thor fighting like this badass thing. And it was drawn by, I was like, the second I saw it, I was like, is this Mike Mignola? Look down at the bottom. Sure enough. So that was a fun, fun surprise waiting for me um, at the at the backside of that issue. So great shit. And uh, yeah, man, I'm, I was excited to actually start pulling from the pile. I do have a little bit of a 
a goal to try to plow through these many, many, many books and graphic novels and comics over the next half year or so. So off to a good start and we'll see where it goes from there. Right on. I got one more thing before we get out of here. I've been collecting some quotes from um, random people, uh, not solely just on comic books, just things that I'm like, that pertains to everything we do in life, as well Mm -hmm. as creating comics or any kind of creative endeavors you do. Right. Avoid the clap, Jimmy Dugan. I mean, that's that's standard procedure. Everyone's trying to avoid the clap. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Let me see. Let's let's see what I want to share with you guys this week. Um, Here, we'll go with the short one this week. You can remove yourself from the board, but you can never leave the work. That is from the King Jack Kirby. Nice. So, yeah, as, as much time that you take off from the work, if the work is something that you truly love, even though you're on vacation, you're spending time with your mother, you know that you're just you're taking a break from the board, but in your mind, you're truly not leaving it. So yeah. just know that moving forward, Jack knows. Now you guys know. We all know. We get it. Yeah, great way of putting it, too, because like uh, often when I pick up where I was writing yesterday or I pick up somewhere in the comic, I actually picture the characters frozen in time. Hmm. And now it's my it's my move. It's my moment to unfreeze them and get them going again. So, yeah, very I mean, similar I think, to me. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're just they, they're waiting for you to to resume time in their universe. And uh, so, yeah, man, killer quote. I, I hope you have more of those and you can save one and just keep on ending the episode on. That's really killer. Yeah, I hope to keep collecting them. I know you have these types of quotes as well because you have put them on your social media. So, yeah. Please feel free. You also collect them. If you guys out there have them as well, hey, makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to shoot them our way. If they are good, we will share them on the air at some point. Um, But before we get out of here, we're going to go ahead and rate these beers. Ballast Point, we have a Grapefruit Sculpin uh, India Pale Ale with natural grapefruit flavors. This is a whopping 7%, only 12 ounces, but your boy mm. has had two tall boys before this, so man, do I feel good. Um, I give this a 8 Grapefruit Sculpin. As far as IPAs go, this is quite possibly one of my favorite IPAs. I'm not huge on them, so an 8 means you need to check it out, regardless if you like IPAs or not. This is the one that you want to check out. Ballast Point. Um, they're all over the place. I believe they're they're at your local Bevmo or or whatever those types of yeah. stores are. Uh, Total Wine, right? Um, it's so, everywhere. It's everywhere. Yeah, it's everywhere. Yeah. Check it out. Grapefruit Sculpin. Hell yeah! So Rogue Pineapple Party Punch. Uh, that's a seven for me, I, I, and and I think that's a that's a really appropriate score. I enjoyed it. Very good. Fun to drink. By the end of the can, does it stand out in a sea, in a in a continent of hazy IPAs? Not so much. You know, like, it's it's a good hazy IPA. I enjoyed it. I'd drink it again if you put it in front of me. Um, but it, it's, you know, there are many, many hazy IPAs out there that are as good as it. And, you know, it's 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 great. There's nothing wrong with the seven. That's for sure. But, uh, yeah, did so a, good, good solid drinking. Did the pineapple come through? It did. It did. Um, I mean, it's it's interesting, right? Because grapefruit is such a great flavoring for IPAs. Yes. I'm not as big a fan of pineapple as a flavoring for IPAs. But yeah, the pineapple was there. I, I enjoyed it. Again, it was it was a nice hazy. Would, would drink it again. Good note. I hate 
grapefruit in general like like yeah, as a too. fruit it's awful you yeah. put it in an ipa fantastic who the it's fuck the knows? best the best fruit yeah exactly yeah it's great all right uh you can find us oh well let's go with me first at scott lost on twitter instagram and threads and you can find me at uh uh facebook.com forward slash scott lost on all of those social medias there and that is spelled s-c-o-t-t-l-o-s-t and uh you can find books at AccidentalAliens.com, Second Shift, Minimum Wage Superheroes, Wanderers of Melisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus Humans, A Thousand Years in the Future on Another Planet, and uh, Paradise Hills coming soon, all at AccidentalAliens.com. Hell yeah. I, I don't get tired of this joke, and I don't bust it out that much. You can find me in St. Louis rolling on dubs. You can also find me on Instagram at Keith underscore Invader. Uh, I'm also that on threads. I am sharing... Like books I'm reading, like Scott mentioned, quotes, plenty of teases of upcoming books I'm working on, fun stuff from the archives, all that, right? So that's Keith underscore Invader on Instagram and threads. I have a website, KeithRFoster.com. There's pages on animals, which is animals get infected by a virus and now want to murder people. Kadoja, which is giant monsters meet HP Lovecraft and Three Protectors, which is Kung Fu in space. You can even buy those books on the website. So go to KeithRFoster.com, check that stuff out and uh, and get yourself some books if you don't have them already. Absolutely. Animals number one is sold out on the distributor level. So the only place you can get it basically at this point is on Keith's uh, website. And, uh, My Invader. damn site. Yeah. Does Invader uh, have Invader's a got a few. Yeah, we do. Yeah. We, have a, we have a few on Invader as well. Yep. There you go. Um, all right. And uh, makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, if you want to be, be like Levi and uh, get in on the episode topics, uh, shoot us up uh, an email over there making comics podcast at gmail.com or any of the social medias that Keith and I have provided for you shortly ago. Uh, yeah. You can do that as well. If you feel like having a conversation and whatnot, do it on those, those platforms or that email. Yeah, we're very reachable. And, uh, and yeah, thanks Levi. I mean, we've gotten some great topics from listeners and this continues the long tradition of getting great topics from listeners. So, uh, so yeah, that was a fun conversation. Um, and, and say, Hey, while maybe after you send that note or, you don't even send a note. Throw us five stars. We mentioned it earlier. Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Throw us some words. We like it even more. Um, throw your boys some love and and get us five stars on those podcast rating a- apps. It really helps. And Scott and I love reading the feedback when it comes through. If you guys have been waiting, you've waited long enough. We've been doing this for three years. Send us a written review. This and is we it. This is this is it. It's like. It's like you've you've been sitting on this review like the end of the Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. And here we are and now we're and now you need to give us a lengthy review that encompasses eight subendings much like the way the Lord of the Rings trilogy ended with That's ending right. after ending after ending, <laughs> right? That's right? So we've been waiting for multiple movies. We're Mount Doom. Get that ring yeah. thrown in our ass. Give exactly. us that review everything cows in fields with full juices mountain doom rings butts we got it boom there's your review (laughs) we wrote it for you (laughs) just just slow the audio down and transcribe that exact review (laughs) and just confuse the internet what's wrong with that there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with that that's your answer that's your answer. We just gave it to you. It's like it's like a cheat key, right? Like, yeah, we we get we got the answer key. We gave it to you. You're welcome. We'll see you next week. Yay! Yeah, yeah.